Man, there's a deep touch of the Holy Ghost in here tonight. And I certainly don't want to be abrupt or in any way diminish what God is doing and moving in this place. But tonight, before we change the order of this service, um, our bishop, my friend, is coming to preach here in a moment. And uh, he needs no introduction, so I'm not trying to just ad-lib and do stuff. I don't, I don't normally ever do this kind of stuff, but this, this will be the last service that him and I will be in here in Calgary together. I'm leaving in the morning. I'm going to go spend a few days with my wife for our anniversary and her birthday, which she told me to tell you all thank you very much for your most generous celebration of her birthday. And then um, by, when I get back, he'll be leaving Friday and he's going to Europe. And working with Bishop has been one of the great privileges in my life and is still a privilege to me after this time. I, I love him. I remember when he was talking to me about coming here. I drove around for days. I had called Jeff Hoffer and said, give me everything Johnny King you got. And I put it on a playlist and I listened to everything I could listen to of Brother King. And I didn't pray about his cars. I didn't pray about anything. I, I prayed. I would listen. I'd put an AirPod thing in my ear and pray. And I'd pray hearing his voice. And I'd say, God, how do I work with him in a way that doesn't diminish this voice in Pentecost? This man is a titan in this movement. He is, he is an influential man. And his wife, and, and they both have been very, very influential. He, is the, he serves on several things in organizations. He's the chairman of Hope Corps. He, he's a missionary at heart, and I love him. And I, I want his influence to grow, not get smaller. And he's getting ready to leave um, this next week for Europe. And I am convinced, having watched the from the Global Missions vantage point, that church in Catania would not be where it is today. Brother Daniele would not be where he is today. And that, that revival would not be where it is today if it was not for Nan and Pop King, who have sowed so much into that. I'm not, I'm not introducing him. This is just something I feel to do in the Holy Ghost. He's getting ready to minister to us. And I hope and pray that we have hearts to receive and a, a mind to receive it and a heart to act on it. But before he comes tonight, I wonder if you could pray two prayers with me for this man of God and his wife. One being that God would keep his voice influential in our movement. And number two, that God would bless them while they're on the mission field. Let's ask the Holy Ghost to help him. God in heaven, 
I pray a prayer of faith over our bishop. I ask you to anoint him, use him mightily in the kingdom, God. Expand his influence. This is your servant. God, this man serves selflessly. Would you somehow, God, expand his influence and touch him, God? God, would you help him and give him apostolic signs while he's in Italy, God? Let him do things there as an apostle and as a man of God in authority over that and with them people. Anoint him, God. Use him and bless this church to be a platform in which he can step out and do great things in God. God bless you, Bishop. Come preach tonight. Thank you, Pastor. Let's lift our hands and love the Lord together. I love you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. I want to wish Sister Walker a happy, happy birthday this week and both of them a happy anniversary. <clears throat> you can be seated. Pastors asked me to uh, speak Wednesday night as well, and so I'm, I'm giving you a heads up that uh, the issues that I may be dealing with on, on Wednesday night, uh, particularly, particularly to parents of, of children, school-aged children and those that are not yet even school-aged and, and grandparents, um, we may be experiencing technical difficulties, and so if you want to hear this message in its entirety, you need to be here in person. <clears throat> so this morning, uh, pastor preached, and he read my text, and this is what I had been wrestling with myself. I try not to wrestle with God, but... Um, I wrestle with myself because sometimes it's, there are, there are three voices basically, I guess you could say four, but there are three voices basically that speak to us and try to influence us, and one is the voice of God that we hear primarily through His Word and in His Word primarily through the preaching of His Word. For the Scripture said God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. There is a different power that comes through the preaching of the Word than the reading of the Word. There's, there's something different that happens. There is something that, that is spiritual. It, it transcends human understanding. Uh, another passage of Scripture said, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by uh, the Word of God. And how can they hear without a preacher? So there's something about preaching. And, and the primary voice that we need to, to be tuned into is the voice of God. Then there is the voice of uh, Satan or his minions. So the voice of, of evil spirits. And then there is the voice of self. And it is easy 
for you to confuse the voice of self with both the voice of Satan and the voice of God. So you may be, you may be blaming on something on the devil that is not him at all but your own self. You also may be attributing something to God that is not God at all but your own self. And so our, our balance is we have to learn to discern between. It's, it's normally not difficult, especially if you know the Bible. You don't have problems recognizing the difference between the voice of, of sin and the voice of God. But the difficulty is in getting yourself out of the way and recognizing when it's yourself. So as a preacher, I, I try to get direction from God about what to speak and what to preach. And um, I feel things, for instance, I've been feeling this particular message for the past several days, but I've been wrestling with myself because I don't know if it's just, if, is this the Lord nudging me or is this myself? Because I, I just preached this in North Carolina one month ago today. And, and so I'm wondering, is that just, you know, it's fresh on my mind? And I preached it here more than once. And so many of you know what's coming. You know, there's no surprise to you. But I have found out several things. One is, you can preach the same message to the same crowd and get a different response. I also believe that God has a way of taking one little boy's lunch, a few bread and fish, and blessing it and breaking it and feeding an entire multitude so that nobody leaves hungry and there's leftovers for those who should have been there and weren't there. And, um, and so... When he read the text this morning, that is my text, I, I just thought, okay, yes. I, I know he's not going to preach the same message, but I, I just kind of felt like it was a confirmation. And if that's too simple for you, I'm sorry, but, but that's the way I've operated in, uh, in about 47 years of full-time ministry, and, and um, it seems to have worked fairly well for me. So, Ephesians chapter 6, and beginning with verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against, uh, pay attention, pay attention, we wrestle not against Justin Trudeau. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You can't put a person's name on this. Our battle is not with political parties or politicians or mayors or premiers or prime ministers or presidents or kings. That's not our problem and that's not our battle. In fact, we have a much more serious foe. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, 
against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, having done all to stand. Notice that twice in this short passage, in, in these three or four verses, twice, he mentions, put on the whole armor of God, and again, take unto you the whole armor of God. Any time in the Word of God where you see a repetition in short order, it is, a, it, it is like an emphatic statement. It is, it is saying, pay attention, I'm saying it again. And um, uh, when Joseph was interpreting the dream of Pharaoh, he said, because, because, you saw it twice, it means the Lord, it's going to shortly come to pass. There's something about a repetition in the Scripture. And, in fact, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So this passage is even more weighty because we are told twice in a, in a short space of time to take and put on the whole armor of God. Now, like pastor, I'm not going to go through, although I will come back later on toward the end of this message and, and refer to some of these particular pieces of armor. I'm not going to go through and name them and teach on them and the significance of all of them right now. It would take a long time. He said, I think weeks or months. I think I could do it in a few hours, but anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the, the point is that God has given us armor. God has provided for you and I armor that he intends for us to put on, to take, to wear. And if we do this, then we are, we are well equipped for the everyday battle. And, and there are everyday battles Every day. If you don't have battles every day, um, let me know the brand of spinach you're eating. Uh, because, you know, in, in serving God, there's just, there's, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be, it, it shouldn't be a, 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 like a, a big, big shock that I had a battle today. You don't, we don't need to have a testimony service for that. You don't need to call the pastor and say, Pastor, I, I had a battle today. I mean, we all do. It's every day. But we have armor. And you can, you can go about your day, and you can serve the Lord, and you can live your life, and you can be a dad or a mom or a young person. You can go to school. You can go to work. You can, you can do whatever needs to be done in your life, and you can fight and resist and be victorious every day if you'll pay attention to the things that God has given you and supplied for you. Now, if you just jump up and run off and leave your armor at home, then you might get some cracked ribs. <laughs> you you, you got to armor up. You got to make sure you're ready. And... And I think most of you do this. 
especially if, if, you've, if you've been serving the Lord for a while, in any matter of time, you understand the value of, of prayer and reading the Bible and, and, and truthfulness and righteousness. You understand why these things are all important and that, and that they should become a part of us, a part of what we wear, a part of our identity, a part of our defenses, and it, they help us to be successful victorious Christians. However, sometimes there are situations that are not everyday situations. Isaiah 59, 19, the prophet refers to, to a time when the enemy shall come in like a flood. Now, it doesn't happen every day that the enemy comes in like a flood, but every day the enemy's going to try. If the enemy's leaving you alone, you better be concerned. If he doesn't have a target on you, if he's not trying to tempt you, trip you up, destroy you, you better wonder why. And so I was at the church. I was down in the basement. This was the church over in, in uh, Forest Lawn on 38th Street Southeast. Things were, it was just a normal day. School was in. Kids were there, I think. We had classes. We had, we had K through 12. And uh, we had an accredited school for, for over 20 years. And we were, um, we were just having day as normal and, and the phone rang. Somebody said, Pastor, you're wanted on the phone. So I had no clue what was coming down the track. I picked up the phone and uh, a voice said, hi, I'm so-and-so from the Edmonton Journal and I'd like to interview you and uh, ask you some questions. He said, we, we have been reading the transcript of a court case, a custody case there in Calgary, and it mentions your church, and so we've got some questions. Well, this, this came entirely out of the blue. I, I was aware of the custody case. Uh, one of the ladies in our, in our church um, had gone to court. Her husband was trying, her husband, who, who did not attend the church, was trying to get custody of all three of their children. And I knew that, that, that there was a custody case. I was aware of it. But what I was not aware of was what the witnesses said in this custody case in order for, for this husband to try to get this woman's children, he attacked the church that this woman was attending. That's our church. And the school that the children were in. And... And that uh, some of the witnesses were backsliders who used to go to church and didn't have anything very good to say about it. And so I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea that during the court case, these backsliders were making statements like, well, yeah, you know, that church is, um, one of the school teachers said that they were Jimmy Jones' church. Now, unless you 
were around in the 1980s, you, you may not have heard of Jimmy Jones, but he was a preacher in San Francisco area who took his entire church, I think a thousand or maybe more than a thousand people from San Francisco down to Guyana in Central America or South America and started a, uh, a commune, named it Jonestown, named it after himself. Well, he was getting all types of, um, they were sending all their, whatever they got, checks, welfare checks, anything, they'd turn it over to him. And it was, a, it was a cult of the first degree. He was being investigated, and during the process of investigation, he led these thousand people to commit suicide by drinking poisoned Kool-Aid, and that's where the term comes from today, they drank the Kool-Aid, or don't drink the Kool-Aid. That's where it comes from. It comes from uh, Jonestown, Guyana, and that cult that was led by Jimmy Jones, and those thousand people that died because of his leadership, and, and they were drinking poisoned Kool-Aid. And so, and so then, and, and then in this court case, this church and me as pastor at that time were likened to Jimmy Jones. Well, I didn't know this until I got this call from the Edmonton Journal, and they started asking questions. That was the first clue. Okay, the second thing that happened was the article that came out in the journal that was, look, if you're looking for balance, if you're looking for truth, if you're, if you're looking for, for uh, uh, fairness, don't look to the media. I don't, I don't care if it's, you know, newspaper, if it's radio, if it's television, if whatever it is, you're not going to find it in the media. They're all biased. They all have their own agenda. And uh, I'll just throw this in. Fox News is no more righteous than the rest. And so the next thing I knew was that I got a, uh, another call, and this was from the Calgary Herald. And this person came out to interview my wife and I. And uh, so we had a really nice portrait. I think it was on the first page of the Calgary Herald. Big picture and, and article there. And it was not very nice either. And uh, then CBC uh, News called me up, and they wanted an interview. Well, I didn't hesitate because I didn't have anything to hide. This is a great church, you know. This is, this is a wonderful church. We definitely were not serving Kool-Aid. <laughs> and so, so uh, the interviewer came out from, from CBC. CBC is the Canada Broadcasting Corporation. And this was the local, this was the local um, uh, uh, part. They sent a, a cameraman. They sent an interviewer. He was so nice. You know, I had an opportunity to, to explain ourselves. This is what we believe. This is our church. It's, it, the interview happened right there in my office. Well, I didn't know what they were going to do with that. They took it back to the studio. They're on Memorial Trail, the CBC studio on, on Memorial Drive. And they cut and spliced. And when it finally came out, 
I didn't see it, of course, and the people in our church didn't see it because we don't have televisions. But they worked with people who had televisions and told them that this, this uh, news report that came out on CBC News it showed me being interviewed, and then it flashed and showed the thousand dead people lying dead in Guyana, Jonestown. Yeah. Well, eventually this began to weigh on me, literally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. It began to weigh on me as as. As the pastor, you know, whatever happens in the church, whatever, whatever you're going through individually, a portion of that is transferred to your pastor because the pastor carries you in his heart. He carries you on his shoulders. He carries the burden for the whole church. You can come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and you can pray and you can worship and you can shout and you can dance and you can run the aisles and you can go home and never worry about, are the bills paid this week? <clears throat> never think about it. But somebody has to make sure the bills are paid. And if they're not, it's going to affect one person more than anybody else. And that's the pastor. In this case that, that, uh, that I was going through here, this happened in about 1989, uh, we were suddenly the center of attention. So Edmonton Journal, Calgary Herald, Calgary Sun, Alberta Report, which was a monthly magazine, CBC, national and local news. I had... I had calls from other provinces and letters from other provinces and people had heard and they'd seen it. And, you know, people can kind of read between the lines. We actually had one family uh, start attending church because of the news report and they said, anybody that's being attacked by the media like that, they must be doing something right. But it really didn't affect the church. It didn't, it didn't affect the services. It did not affect the attendance. We didn't lose anybody. Um, the result, by the way, the result of the custody case is that the sister in the church lost custody of all three of her children to her husband and was ordered by the court. Now we're talking 1989 was ordered by the court that when she had visitation with her children, she was not to exercise any religious influence on them. So she couldn't pray with them. She couldn't read the Bible with them. She couldn't play gospel music to them. She certainly could not bring them to church. That was my understanding. And so all this news coverage... And, and it got to the place where any time I walked, when I walked out of the house, I'd, I'd glance to see if the neighbors were watching, you know? I mean, my name had been on the, my picture on the front page of the, the biggest newspaper in town and, and, and on the television and CBC News. And when I, when I stopped to get gas, I was wondering, you know, did people, were people looking at me and did they recognize me? And, and something happened to me during that time that had never happened before. I, um, 
I developed insomnia. I couldn't sleep. I lost my appetite. Now, it's really bad when an apostolic can't eat when they lose their appetite because, I mean, what else can we do? Right? Uh, we, we like to eat. But um, uh, I didn't want to eat. I mean, I ate, but I didn't have any appetite for it. And I had this feeling, this feeling of heaviness on me, Lit, like, like, like literal heaviness, like, like my feet had weights on them and my arms and hands had weights on them and my shoulder had, had weights on it. And, and I went to church and at that time we had a, a smaller platform. I had a bench right in front of the baptistry and that's where I sat. And so here I was sitting in front of all the people. So I had to be an example. And so I was, I was forcing myself to worship. I was not worshiping because I felt like worshiping. I didn't feel like worshiping. I didn't feel like shouting. I didn't feel like running the aisles. I didn't feel like dancing. I didn't feel like jumping, but I forced myself. And when I raised my hands to, to praise God, it, it was like there were weights on them, and I had to force them up. And, and when I jumped, I, I would, I, you know, the Bible said leap for joy. Well, I didn't feel any joy. And I didn't feel any release. I prayed, and when I prayed, it sound it felt like it felt like God wasn't listening. It felt like my prayers were going up and hitting the ceiling, then just bouncing back down. So I, I don't remember how long how long this went. I, I do remember that the Calgary Herald came back for a second report. They wanted to do another follow-up, you know, drag it along and, and, and make us look as bad as they possibly could. And at that time, Brother Bo was pastoring in Saskatoon, and he had driven over. And uh, he happened to be there on that day, so he went into the office when, when the reporter uh, started asking questions. He, he sat there with me and and uh, as this reporter began asking questions, Brother Bo spoke up. He said things about me that I wouldn't have said about myself. He said, do you understand? This is not just some isolated guy sitting over here doing his own thing. Do you understand that, he, that he's leading a district? Do you understand he's a leader of men? He's respected. Do you understand he sits on boards? Do you, do you, do you understand this man has the confidence of many people and, and the the, the person that was writing the story was a, was a woman reporter. I still remember her name. She got mad. She said, I didn't ask you. And he said, well, I'm telling you. And because of him being there that day, because he was there, I'm sure that the next article that came out was much better than it would have been otherwise. Thank God for friends. Thank God for friends. <clears throat> But, but this, was, this went on for days, maybe weeks. I, I, it was definitely weeks. I don't remember exactly how many or how long it lasted, but to me, it, it was like forever. You know, when you're, in, when you're in something like this, and I didn't realize it until later when it was over, I recognized then that everything I was feeling and exhibiting was the classical signs of depression, loss of appetite, insomnia, uh, you know, kind of wondering if people are watching you, 
everything was, was classic depression. And I'd never had depression in my life. I didn't know what it was like to be depressed. When somebody would come to me and they were feeling depressed, my, you know, what I felt like saying was, get over it. You know, nothing's wrong with you. You're not sick. You're okay. Just get over it. Come on. Get your act together. What I did say was, well, just hold on. You know, just pray. Just hold on. That's what I would say. But then it happened to me. And you know what people were saying? Just hold on. Just hold on. In 1989, uh, an airliner, a 747, took off from Hawaii and, and headed for Australia. And when it reached altitude, a, a door that had been improperly latched blew open and sucked eight people out of the plane to their death into the, to the ocean. And I, I felt like what was happening to me was that I was in an airplane you know, at, at 30,000 feet, and suddenly the door blew open, and I didn't have my seatbelt on, and it sucked me out, and I just kind of snagged the seatbelt on my way out. And here I am holding on to the seatbelt, and I'm, I'm outside the aircraft being buffeted by the wind 400 miles an hour, and somebody inside with their seatbelt on looks out and says, just hold on. Uh, I'm trying, and there's no alternative other than that. As hard as it may seem, I'm going to hold on. You know, and they say, we'll land shortly. This will be over soon. There's light at the end of the tunnel. I, I didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I'm explaining what I felt. I felt, as the pastor, I felt everything. I don't know what the other people in the church were feeling. But as far as I know, nobody was feeling what I was feeling. It, 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 there's, there is a burden on your pastor that you cannot understand. He feels it when you feel it. He weeps with those that weep and rejoices with those that rejoice. When you're struggling, he feels it. When you're rejoicing, he's rejoicing. I, I, how, can I under, how can I explain this to you unless you've been in the position that, that your pastor feels it. And if the whole church is under attack, he feels that magnified. It centers on one man because the devil would like to take out that one man. He knows if he can de destroy leadership, he can get to the rest of the body. And so I, I just, you know, I was going through the motions. I was sincere. I was praying. I, I was reading my Bible. I just couldn't feel anything. It was like, here I was, wearing my armor, fighting the devils one by one, you know, put on the whole armor of God, check. Helmet of salvation, check. Sword of the Spirit, check. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, got it, check. Your loins girt about with truth, check. Breastplate of righteousness, check. Got it, Lord. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm doing all right. But something happened 
on this normal day. And it's like the enemy was probing around and he found a weakness that I never knew I had. And when he found it, he called for reinforcements. And they forced their way in and came in like a flood. And I, who was a pastor, I, who was, who was not too bad at fighting devils and fighting temptation and, and fighting the enemy, found myself facing a flood. And the armor that I'd put on was insufficient. It couldn't help me against a flood. It could help me every day, but against a flood, I was helpless. And the flood came against me, and they knocked me back. And, and it knocked the, the helmet of salvation on my head, and I, I even wondered if I was saved. And, and, the, and, and the shield of faith, which is invisible, here I am trying to find, where did it go? Where'd my faith go? Where's it at? It's got to be around here somewhere. And they're laughing and they're howling and they're pushing me back against the wall. They love it. The devils are laughing. Whenever they get you in a place like this, they're laughing. They want to cause your destruction. The devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And if he thinks, if he thinks he's got you down... He's laughing, and my back was against the wall. And when I didn't know, when it, it's like justice is fallen in the street. Read, read what Isaiah said, beginning verse 14 of, of chapter 59. Judgment is turned away backward. Justice stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the street. News media wasn't interested in truth. Truth was fallen in the street. Equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. It was, it was like that. And the Lord saw it. Listen, I'm getting to the point now. Whatever you're going through right now, however long it's lasted, whatever has caused it, wherever you're at in the spirit, wherever you're at, in your mental state, wherever you're at physically, God sees everything. And when you feel like you are overpowered and you are overwhelmed and that the enemy has come against you like a flood, here's what happens. And the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm, God's arm, brought salvation unto him. And his righteousness, God's righteousness, it sustained him. For he, God, put on righteousness as a breastplate. God put on a helmet of salvation upon his head. And God put on garments of vengeance for clothing. And God was clad with zeal as a cloak. You know what happened? God looked down and saw, all right. He saw it all along. 
But he saw when my back was against the wall. And he saw, he said he, he would never put on you any more than you're able to bear. And God said, that's enough. And God said, bring me my armor. I'm going to fight. And when God put on his armor and came down in my flood and came down in my battle and came down in my fight, that's when the enemy comes in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord lifts up the standard against him. God said, that's it, devils. You want to fight? We'll have a fight, but you're going to fight me. I don't know in 1989 who of you were in the first grade and second grade, but this is the way it happened. In the midst of this flood, in the midst of this battle, I went down to the church. It was a school day, and it was devotions. I guess I don't remember teaching devotions, but I probably did. And afterwards, I sat on the edge of the platform, and I, it, was, it was grades one and two. So it would be six- and seven-year-old children. Is there anybody here who was there? you can remember that could I have could I have all the children that are six and seven years old would you come up here if you're six and seven years old would you come up here come on Six and seven-year-old kids. I said, children. I said, pastors prayed for you when you're sick. When you need help, pastors prayed for you. And I said, now, pastor needs prayer. And I said, would you pray for me? And those little boys and girls... Those little boys and girls put their hands on me. And they, they began to pray a sincere but simple childlike prayer. At that moment, that's when it happened. That's when God said, that's enough. Bring me my armor. That's when God came down. LAUGHTER that's when God raised up the standard that I had dropped in the dust. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how it will happen with you, and I don't know when it will happen with you, but I know this. I know this. When you feel like you've reached the end of your rope, when you feel like you can't take anymore, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't give up on God. Don't stop going to church. Don't stop praying. Don't stop reading your Bible. Because God is going to put on his armor. God sees everything you're going through. Let's all stand. Thank you, children. I love you so much.
could be tonight. It could be right now. Maybe you've carried this burden long enough. In the 18th Psalm, David said, He sent from above. He took me and drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. Many are they that rise up against me, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. Just a reminder tonight to you, to you, you may need it right now, or you may need it next week or next month, but whenever it comes, whenever the enemy comes in like a flood, lift up your eyes. Your redemption draweth nigh. Do you feel like you want to pray right now? Do you feel like you want to come down? And do you feel like you need that, that voice, that touch? that Redeemer, that Savior. He's here. He sees you right now. Let's be sensitive to the presence of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, be sensitive to one another. You never know what, you never know what the person next to you is going through. You never know what a, what a word of encouragement will mean to them. You never know what a prayer will mean to them. You just never know. But right now, God is here. Right now, God is in the house. And right now, God can touch you. And God can heal you. And God can deliver you. And God can fight that battle that you just can't seem to get the victory over. And He can take care of it just like that. All at once. Let's come and seek the face of God. I heard. 